teachers, let's discuss one of the hottest topics in education right now. Education has obviously changed a lot in students' work ethic and students' abilities and students' thought process has changed. It's evolved, right? But the question that so many teachers, I would say millions of teachers across the entire world are asking themselves is, how can we get kids to actually do the work? How can we get kids to turn work in? Maybe you're asking the question, how can we get kids to turn in quality work? I think those are all very great questions. And in this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to tackle a strategy to get kids to actually do the work, do their best work on the first try, and therefore, you're not going to be hunting them down for missing work, late work, partial credit work, because guess what? That's a lot of work. And I think that one of the greatest things that we can do as educators is decrease the amount of work that we have to do by increasing the accountability of students. So if you want to get your students to turn work in and you want to figure out a process for your school on how to make that happen universally, then you are in the right place. Very excited to decrease your stress load while increasing the success of your students. There is awesome in every single school day. So here is the big question. How can teachers like us who love our job, love our students, and love being a part of education Celebrate awesome even more in our classrooms and learning communities. Where can we find teaching tips and tricks? Where can we find engaging stories and motivational strategies? That is the question and this weekly podcast is your answer. So welcome to all my teacher friends. My name is Monica Genta and I am so excited that you are here listening to this podcast this teacher life. Now, before we even get started, I understand that some of you saw the title for this episode, which is titled, How to Get Students to Turn in High Quality Work in the Simple System to Ensure No Kids Fail. I know that some of you saw the last part, simple system to ensure no kids fail. And you immediately were like, no, some kids deserve to fail. Some kids need to have the F. Some kids need to go to summer school. And here's the reality. I'm not anti-F. I'm not anti-F. I just think an F should be a clear representation of what they don't know in that subject area. And I think oftentimes that's not what an F indicates. I'm also not anti-summer school. I think summer school programs and enrichment programs after school, I think those things can be very positive for kids who are just looking to continue to learn and grow. But here's the thing. I think a lot of the reasons why our kids are failing are not 
content and curriculum based. In fact, I think there are three reasons why kids fail. Apathy is one of them. Oftentimes, kids seriously do not care about your class. They do not care about our work. They're like, give me the F. I don't care. Forget about that worksheet. I don't care. You got a D on the test. Who cares? Grades don't matter to me. So oftentimes, our kids are failing simply because they're like, I don't care. This is not important to me. So that's actually not an indicator of whether they know the content or not. I think another reason why kids are often failing in schools is because of organization. They literally can't find the assignment, so the teacher assigns a zero or a 50%. They're like, hey, uh, go ahead and turn that assignment in. And they're like, oh, I already gave it to you. And you're like, no, you didn't. And so they're like, oh, darn it. Well, then why don't you do another copy? And they're like, but I already did a copy. And so because they are disorganized, they end up getting an academic quote F, which again is not necessarily proof of their learning. I think the third reason why students fail is because of legitimate academic gaps. Like the student struggles in the subject area. The student struggles with whatever concept is happening. They want to do well. They're trying really hard. It's just genuinely difficult for them. So those are the three reasons why kids, quote, fail. And I keep using the term, quote, fail, because I would say a majority of U.S. schools are still on the 0 to 100% grading timeline. What I mean by that is there are so many ways that a kid can fail and those are not in balance with the way that kids can succeed. Like I have an entire podcast episode on this and some of you have heard it and that's not the focus of this podcast, but I will say this before I talk about how to get kids to turn in high quality work is there shouldn't be 60 ways for kids to get an F And only 10 ways to get an A or 10 ways to get a B. Like that, like that just doesn't make sense. So how do we solve this? How do we chip away at the frustration and the quote failures that are happening in schools? Well, my goal is to get my students to turn in the highest quality work on the first try. Okay, this year I teach science and so I'm going to use science as my example because that's what's near and dear to me right now. And I'm going to use a specific assignment that I do weekly with students. So I think it's pretty common for there to be weekly work. So an exit slip, a bell ringer, a check in, um, a science starter, whatever you want to call it. Some sort of question or assignment that is based off of the content in the curriculum that you are teaching at that time. Very common. So let's talk about my weekly science assignment. I assign this on a Monday and students turn it in on a Thursday. How do I create a fair system on Monday through Thursday? I give them the questions on paper. I post them digitally, so there's multiple mediums, which I think is important, okay? I give them some class time to answer those questions. I allow them to use their notes. I allow them to draw things out and sketch things out if they need to compute some math. 
right? So I give them some time and I give them the space to succeed. I also give them the time and the space to ask questions about those. In fact, we will also go over part of those questions in class. I'll do hypotheticals and we spend some time reviewing the content that I'm teaching. So they do this process for about five to 10 minutes, Monday through Thursday. Right after those 10 minutes on Thursday, I collect that assignment. And spoiler alert, I sprint around the room to collect that assignment. That's a whole nother strategy that we'll get into in another time because I want to stay focused on this. So here's the thing. My students know that they need to turn in the highest quality work on the first time because on Thursday, I'm going to grade those. I'm going to assess their abilities. I'm going to look at their evidence. I'm going to look at the answer. Is it right or wrong? Do they have proof? All of the science standards are used in my grading. And then here's what's up. My students have the opportunity. Let's say they get a 10 out of 12. My students, every single student has the ability to earn back a 12 out of 12. Every single one of my students has the opportunity to get a 100% on homework or classwork in my class. You want to know why? Because in my classroom, I have corrections for full credit. And I know some of you are already pissed because you're like, oh, here we go. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets an A. Everybody gets a certificate before... You start thinking that. I want to explain the correction process. I want to explain how you can earn that credit back. Because I have a document. In fact, the document's sitting in front of me. And it literally says, in order to receive credit back for doing this work, you must show all of your work, include math, include explanations, include labels, include data. You also must circle your final answer and then staple this correction paper to the original assignment. So let's say a kid gets a question wrong and they're like, dang, I got 11 out of 12. And that student wants to get a 12 out of 12. They would take one of my correction papers and let's say the answer was seven and they put eight. Well, they can't just scribble out eight and put seven because this is a process because on that exact same corrections form there is a box and it says my original answer was so the kid would put eight and then right under it it says I need an explanation of why you missed it how did you get eight how was eight your answer so they might have said well I looked at the graph and I added seven buses from the graph and one car from the graph. So seven plus one is eight. Because let's say the question was, how many kids get to school using fuel? Okay. And they put seven on the bus, one in a car, so they got eight. Okay. So now they've explained exactly why they missed it. That's important to me. Because if you get something wrong in my class, I don't know what your brain was doing if you got it wrong. 
but now I can see, oh, that's why they missed it. And then under it, it says, here is my new answer. And they must explain that. And they say, my new answer is actually seven. The reason why it's seven is because I miscounted the buses. There were actually six buses and one car. And six plus one is seven. Boom. So now to outline this, they told me what their original answer was. They explained scientifically or mathematically like why they missed it. And then they gave me their new answer and had to back up that new answer with evidence. This isn't just a scribble it out, please give me credit. This isn't a like, yeah, I can just slop something down and now I'm going to have an A plus in your class. This is actually quite a bit of work. But I think when we miss something and we can work through it, when we get something wrong and we can put a little grit behind it, we have greater success and greater learning. So this is a process that kids can use at any point in time, right? If they get an assignment back and they're like, 9 out of 12, I'm happy with that. And then the next time they're like, ooh, 6 out of 14, yikes, I definitely need to redo that. They can until the end of the grading period. I'm not going to be hunting down work from, from first quarter during third quarter. Now you might be thinking, okay, but I don't get how you're having students turn in high quality work. How does this solve the problem? Well, because here's the thing. The kids who want to do well, the kids who genuinely are motivated to get good grades, they know, wow, it is a whole lot easier to turn in my best work first because it's easier to take my time on my first try than the time that it's going to take to do corrections. So now we are using the commodity of time. We're going to be saving ourselves time because they're going to be putting forth their best effort on the first try. I would also argue it's going to create better learning. So let's talk about the quality of work of some students. We understand that some kids just slop stuff down right? They just get something down, write it really fast. Maybe it's not even legible, right? And it is just, how am I supposed to grade this? Or like, where did this answer even come from? But they're racing to get it done because in, in school, sometimes, well, like done, the teacher will stop bothering me. Done means it's not late. Done means that the teacher's off my back for a second. Done, I can tell my parents like, yep, I turned it in so they don't see a zero. So they're rushing through stuff and slopping stuff down because they want to have that out of sight, out of mind. Well, when we have this process in place, guess what? If you are just slopping work down, then I'm going to require you to do corrections. And now instead of just saying the answer is seven, you're going to have to go through and do answer four different questions for me Here's my original answer. Here's why I missed it. Here's an explanation. Here's my new answer. Here's an explanation. Like that's four times the amount of work when you could have just stayed and focused on it on your first try. This correction process is a win-win-win for everybody. Does it create a little bit more management for us as teachers? Yes, it does. Straight up, it does. Does it create better achievement and better problem solving and better time management? Yeah. You remember the three reasons why I said kids are failing? Apathy. I don't care. Well, 
the amount that you're going to have to care is going to have to increase a little bit. Otherwise, you're going to constantly be doing corrections. Organization, I lost my paper. Whoa, you're going to have to stay organized because otherwise, again, the amount of time and the amount of work that you're going to have to do is going to increase. And here's another thing on organization. If a kid proactively comes to me, will I just give them another copy of the assignment? Yeah, I will actually. I will. Okay. But academic gaps. If a student is genuinely struggling and they want to do well, what I can do is when I grade the assignment, I'm going to give them some guidance. I'm going to say, hey, take a look at that graph. I might circle something. I might say, can you tell me why? Can you explain this? Where did you get this from? So like I'm giving them some additional guidance so it can click so that they can do the corrections. Now, I know that you might be thinking like, this is a logistical nightmare. When are they going to do the corrections? How is this system set up? Well, there's good news because I want to tell you exactly how to set this system up, even maybe school wide, so you can have all students passing and maybe even have to not consider summer school in your district. Before we finish up this episode, I wanted to give you a last call on an incredible opportunity called 365 Days of Awesome. One of the goals of this episode about corrections is to help kind of change the trajectory of our students and maybe even change your school or your own mindset on how work can be completed. But I think sometimes as humans, we also need to open up our minds and potentially change our trajectory of our lives. As humans, we hit roadblocks. But I genuinely believe that this upcoming year, this new calendar year, can be our best year yet. I know that New Year's feels far away. But I also know that when we are proactive and positive about the things that are going to come, that is going to help us have our best year yet, our 365 days of awesome. So I want to invite you to an upcoming brand new course called 365 Days of Awesome, celebrating every single day of this new year. In this fully flexible, fully virtual online course, we are going to tackle all of the pillars of life, and we're going to talk about ways that you can level up your life in lots of areas, including fun, friends, finances, future, failures, and all of the things that cause us to have our best or worst year yet. Here's the thing. I understand as teachers, sometimes we are looking for things to give us a reset. And I think the 365 Days of Awesome course is that. Not to mention, as a teacher, this is listed as teacher self-care. So you can get up to 15 hours worth of PD credit by participating in this fun, flexible virtual course. Registration is actually only open for a very short period of time. So this is the last call because the course begins in November. You can go to monicagenta.com forward slash courses to get signed up. That's monicagenta.com forward slash courses. There's also a direct link in the show notes. I would love to celebrate 2024 with you by being proactive about being in the 365 Days of Awesome course in November. Go to monicagenta.com forward slash courses.
So let's talk about this system on how we are going to ensure that no kids fail. So these corrections documents that I have are always in my classroom. Anytime I'm passing back papers, kids have full reign to go and grab one of those so they can take it home with them so that they can work on it during homeroom. Like they are able to grab those correction sheets on their own. Now, I did mention right then homeroom. My school has a last hour homeroom. And I know homeroom can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different schools. So I actually want to define what that is. Our homeroom is a very shortened period. It's an abbreviated period at the end of the day where students can participate in band. There are also special activities going on. Sometimes we are doing RTI groups. Sometimes there are things like STEAM. There can be incentive activities. Also things like special meetings, student council meetings, class officer meetings. It's not a free-for-all because it is structured. In fact, let me talk about one of the structures. On Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, ZAP is one of the options during homeroom. Some of you might have heard of ZAP or you have ZAP in your school. It's kind of an old school premise, but it stands for zeros aren't permitted. Okay? So if zeros aren't permitted, this is an effort to make sure that that crazy scale, that crazy zero to 100 scale where kids can get an F by getting a zero. Do you know how hard it is to recover from a zero? A 1, a 2, a 3, a 4, a 5, a 6, a 7, an 8, a 9, a 10, 11, a 12, and 13, a 14, a 15, and 16, and 17, and 18 percent, all the way up to 59 percent are Fs. And if we are trying to not give zeros, then we also have to give kids an opportunity to not earn the zero. Is that maybe considered a second chance? Maybe so. But Zap is the place to do that. So we have a Google Doc where we can flex kids in and out of zap but we decided this year that like zero is a pretty low standard right only kids with zeros are going to zap don't we want our kids to be wildly successful and be more proactive than reactive because by the time a kid has a zero in a class hard to recover from so what we decided as a staff was that kids were going to attend to zap on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, based off of if they had a D or lower in any of their classes. So we can go into this Excel spreadsheet or this Google Doc. We can put their name. We put our class. We put the, we put the percent that they earned on that assignment or the percent that they have in the class right now. We write a little synopsis of what they need to do during that ZAP period. And then... We have one ZAP teacher, and that teacher is assigned a special last hour of the day where they are working with students on ZAP, and that is a really fluid room. That teacher does not see the same kids all the time. It's whoever is assigned to ZAP, and it's an active, evolving document. So like, for example, on Thursday, I grade my science sheets. If I put in the grades and I see a kid has dipped below a C minus, then I automatically take one of those correction sheets and I staple it to the assignment before I ever pass it back to them. 
If you have a correction sheet stapled to an assignment, it then becomes a requirement. Now, here's the thing. Here's a cool thing. Because that is something that I pass back to them on Friday, and ZAP is only Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they have the opportunity over the weekend to do the corrections, and they don't have to go to ZAP. They can even do the corrections on Monday morning and give those back to me, and I'll remove them from the ZAP list. So they get the opportunity to correct it before there's any kind of like penalty. Not that ZAP is a penalty. It's a, it's a structured opportunity. But as we understand, oftentimes kids see it as a penalty. So you know what? No big deal. I can take you off of ZAP for next week if you do this over the weekend or you do it Monday morning and I have it in my hands graded before class on Tuesday. That's just how that works. So it's incentivizing kids to do the corrections. But it's also incentivizing kids to not have to do the corrections because kids realize it's a lot of work. Can I give you an example of how many times last week I had to staple corrections to an assignment? Two. Two times. Because I think kids are starting to see that, God, it is a lot of work to do these corrections. Because if it says my original answer was, let's say, uh, photosynthesis, and it says why I missed it, and they said because I misread the question, I'm not giving credit for that. Like, why did you write photosynthesis? So my original answer was photosynthesis, why I missed it. Here's what I would accept. Because photosynthesis is a process that plants go through to convert energy in the form of sunlight into food. Okay, now I know they know what photosynthesis means. My new answer is actually mitosis because mitosis is cell division, which is the process that cells go through to go through in order to replicate, also known as cell division. Boom. So now I know what their wrong answer means and they know what the wrong answer means and they've corrected it, right? That was a lot of work where they could have just got the correct answer on the first try. I am not looking for perfection from any student. I think perfection is actually kind of a myth. But what I am looking for is if you want a perfect, are you willing to work for it? If you didn't get something correct on the first try, are you willing to explore why? I think kids often need second chances. In fact, a kid came to me today and he said, Miss Genta, I did three corrections, but you only gave me credit for one. And I said, did you see why? And he said, yeah, I rushed through the corrections. I said, yeah, because it said why I missed it. And you said, because I got it wrong. Right. Yeah. You just repeated what I said. So he said, I'm sorry. Would I be able to do another corrections from my corrections? Which would be the third attempt. And I said, if you're willing to put forth the work, yeah, the quarter isn't over yet. So guess what? The kid went up and got a new correction sheet. Am I okay with a little extra management on my end? If it means that the students are taking more responsible 
responsibility for managing their grades and managing their emotions and managing their apathy and managing their organization? Absolutely. I understand that you might not have ZAP in your school. I understand that you might not have a homeroom that is structured like that. I understand that some of you aren't even on a 100-point scale or an ABCDF scale, but if you aren't, no problem. How can you take these ideas and apply them and tweak them and edit them and evolve them so that this concept could work, at least partially, in your school and with your students? I'm telling you. I understand that there are people in the world who are like, there aren't second chances in everything. If you don't pass your driver's test, you don't get your license. That's only sort of true. Because you can actually go back to the DMV and they will let you take the test again. Okay? I know some of you are like, nope, you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. Okay, that's true. But there are second impressions and third impressions. Also, let's say the first impression was an interview and you absolutely annihilated the interview guess what you get a second chance it's called a first interview elsewhere but it's still interviewing for the same thing a job so i understand why people get really fired up about corrections and about how we have to hold our kids to a high standard i agree we have got to hold our kids to a high standards I think corrections in this format that I just described, I think it does. I feel a little fired up, but I just, I'm really passionate about this because my goal is to not fail a student. In fact, I don't think teachers fail students. I think systems fail students. And I think we can help students when we have better systems. So what does your system look like? Is your system set up to ensure that no kids fail? Not because of apathy, not because of organization, not because of academic gaps. That a grade is a direct representation of what they know in your subject area. And if it's not, that you have a policy and a practice in place to help kids succeed. I want to thank you so much for being a part of this episode and just being open to hearing something that might be against your teaching philosophy or maybe is completely aligned to your teaching philosophy and you just didn't know how to implement it. I know one thing that is definitely heavy on my heart and on my head right now is the philosophy of like new year, new you. New year's resolutions. These are not my most favorite statements, but As we're getting close to the holiday season, we're seeing a lot of marketing messages about like new year, new year. Set your 2024 goals and resolutions now. And in a lot of ways, I believe in that, but I just don't think there's a structure to get people to actually go and crush those goals and to make those changes. And that's exactly why I have the 365 Days of Awesome course. I don't want you to forget that registration is closing so super soon. So this is the last call. You can go to monicajensen.com forward slash courses to check out the 365 Days of Awesome fun, flexible course. And it's not just for teachers. It's truly for anyone who is looking forward to leveling up their life personally or professionally in 2024. And I'm going to give you the exact roadmap to do that. 
I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I want to thank you for living this teacher life.